The following podcast contains scenes of graphic violence and sexual assault that some listeners might find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. There's a story about a pre-med student who was studying cadavers for his anatomy class. And late one night, he went into the morgue and skinned a cadaver and made a mask for Halloween. He later wore the mask he constructed from human skin to a college Halloween party. The pre-med student later told a friend what he had done. The friend's name was Toby Hooper, who would go on to become a film director and the story went on to serve as one of the inspirations behind the slasher villain Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. If the eyes are the windows to the soul, a blank, expressionless face has no soul. When you gaze upon a mask, you are looking into the abyss. Masks embody the unknown. The unknown is unknowable, and therefore something we do not understand. And we always fear what we do not understand. Humanity have worn masks of one kind or another for the purposes of entertainment, mockery, ritual, deception, concealment, transformation, and yes, even murder. The mask might change with the times and the killer, but the murderer's impulses are always rooted in an ancient Darwinian form of evil. The masks are the unconscious expression of that evil, primordial instinct. When it comes to masks, it is never about the mask itself, but the person underneath. Masks reveal what the worst among us are hiding on the inside, their darkest fantasies. In the late 1980s and early 90s, Australia was terrorized by a depraved psychopath in a gimp mask with a zipper for a mouth. This nightmarish individual broke into people's homes and raped and murdered their children. He abducted a 13-year-old girl named Carmen Chan, tied her to a chair, and shot her three times in the face. Her decomposed body wasn't found until a year later. The killer was believed to have videotaped or perhaps taken still photographs of his crimes perpetuated against the children. This masked predator of children came to be known in the press as Mr. Cruel. No one could stop Mr. Cruel because no one could identify him. He was never brought to justice and the case remains unsolved. Between 1957 and 1971, residents of the British Isles feared a masked intruder in their homes creeping into their houses at night with a disguise consisting of an old, tattered rubber mask that resembled molten skin and a woman's wig. The thing in the mask looked like a human horror film and stalked, raped, and sodomized more than 13 women and children. Perhaps most disturbing is what police discovered beneath the mask, a seemingly normal family man named Edward Paisnell. A construction worker by day and a masked ghoul by night. Paisnell liked to dress up as Santa Claus and entertain young boys and girls in his spare time. He also liked to perform satanic rituals and sacrifice animals at an altar hidden in his barn. It all sounds like QAnon fan fiction, and yet it is reality. And then you have the Phantom. In 1946, something began killing random teenagers in the American Twin Cities of Texarkana. Something that had the form of a human, but not the face. He arrived in Texarkana like a dark thought, or a demon summoned by a witch, and terrorized an entire town with homicidal and sexual violence. The killings had no clear motive and were shocking in their sheer brutality. The killer wore a burlap sack over their head, with holes sliced out for his crazed eyes, 
his weapon of choice, were guns and the element of surprise. The thing in the pillowcase mask always struck at night on weekends, in isolated locations. He targeted vulnerable young couples. Lover's Lane became his hunting ground. The faceless killer slaughtered between five to seven people, attempted to murder three others, and is a suspect in several cold case homicides. He came to be known as the Phantom Killer, or Moonlight Murderer, by the local press, mainly because of his almost supernatural ability to vanish and elude capture. A killer like the Phantom could only be spawned from a place like Texarkana, a town born in blood that hid a grim history of murders, corruption, tragedies, and horrific racial violence. The people of Texarkana poured their lives into the town, their own secrets and sins feeding the soil. And serial killers, the werewolves and vampires of the modern age, always emerge as a moral reckoning with societal decay. Blaring with the rage of a recently castrated bull, the Phantom Killer was a coldly psychotic scarecrow, driven by nothing other than the desire to create chaos. He transformed Texarkana into the town that dreaded sundown. He was more than a serial killer. He was a terrorist. The Phantom was a force of human nature, a violent assault on the concept of civilized society itself. The Phantom committed cold-blooded murders and sexual torture simply because he could. He didn't even seem to care about why he was doing it. He had no grand philosophy or self-awareness to his atrocities. He just did things. Terrible things. The Phantom was a destructive, frenzied maelstrom of murder, mayhem, and sexualized aggression. A remorseless madman in a mask with zero empathy. He stole people's lives, and those that survived were psychologically scarred by the trauma inflicted upon them. And then, just as the killings were escalating both in terms of cruelty and senselessness, they suddenly stopped. But did they really? It is widely believed that once serial killers start killing, they cannot stop. Is it possible the Phantom simply moved on to a new location, changed their MO, and continued to murder with impunity? A mask is just a piece of fabric. The person underneath? That's the true horror. Spooky? Do you think I'm spooky? I told my mom I thought I saw a werewolf. And my mom believed me. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay! Serious crap! You think these people were eaten? My dog stepped on a bee. Unidentified flying objects. I think that fits the description pretty well. Haunted human remains. He's dead. But he has the power to move and kill. She was bludgeoned to death with an axe. <laughs> A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. When I stand on the mountain and I say, do it, it gets done. If it don't get done, then I'll move on it. And that's the last thing in the world you want me to And this is the Spookies Podcast. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? I'm Michael. And I'm Stephanie. And welcome back to your favorite thing ever, the Spookies podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 12, The Texarkana Moonlight Murders, Part 2, The Masks of Sanity. That's a mouthful. Well, you wrote it. I know. <laughs> this is it. This is the end of the season. <laughs> Are you ready for this, Stephanie? As ready as I'll ever be. So, at the end of our last episode, the masked maniac known as the Phantom had failed to kill Katie Starks. She had discovered her husband dead in his chair. He had been shot twice in the cranium. 
You know, I just loved that the Phantom failed to kill someone. I always love it when things don't go as expected for the killer. It's very satisfying yeah. in that way. He was pissing his pants. <laughs> Katie survived being shot twice in the face. One bullet passed through her nose, and the second broke her jaw, lodging in under her tongue. Her teeth had exploded onto the floor. And then, after a series of increasingly violent murders, something strange happened. The phantom killer disappeared. Just gone vanished think about that for a moment the phantom just murdered a bunch of innocent people and was like you know what i'm good i'm taking this tampon off my face and i'm retiring (laughs) and then he vanished without a trace except nothing vanishes without a trace i would agree there's got to be something here some Mm -hmm. detail something we're not seeing a predator like the phantom would never stop killing It's in their genetic makeup to kill. Whoever did this was born to kill, lives to kill, kills because they like it. Mm -hmm. Sheriff W.E. Davis would later tell the press, This killer is the luckiest person I have ever known. No one sees him, hears him in time, or can identify him in any way. He's invisible, a phantom. Right. On almost every documentary about a serial killer... They interview a cop, and they talk about how the killer was impossible to catch. Mm -hmm. This guy here, I'm telling you, he was invisible. (laughs) We call him Johnny Slick. He could be anywhere. He could squeeze into a coffee can. (laughs) Serial killers, you see, have these supernatural abilities, according to the police. They can turn invisible at will or walk through walls. An evil genius, Stephanie. The suspect might have an IQ of 80, but the cops will claim they're dealing with an evil genius. (laughs) Look, if you think a guy with an IQ of 80 is an evil genius, what does that make you? Not too bright. Criminal mastermind and evil genius, these terms, are cop doublespeak for bad police work. Of course. This is cops covering their ass because they screwed up or... They were complicit. Mm -hmm. And it is one of the theories about this case. But suddenly, it's funny how killers are always easier to catch when the victims are the rich and the powerful. Suddenly, the cops become Columbo. (laughs) Someone kills the daughter of a politician or some Hollywood actor, and they will lock down an entire city. They will move heaven and earth to catch the killer. We are a deeply sick society, but I digress. On October 8th, 1946, another murder took place which bore an eerie similarity to the Texarkana Moonlight murders. A young couple was killed by an unknown gunman whilst parked in a lover's lane spot in a desolate stretch of beach not far from Fort Lauderdale. Lawrence Hogan, 23, and Elaine Eldridge, 24, both died as a result of shots fired from a 32 caliber weapon, the same caliber used in the Martin Booker and Griffin Moore murders. Like the Texarkana victims, Hogan and Eldridge were found clothed, with their money and other valuables intact. No motive was determined for the killings. No evidence was left behind by the perpetrator. Some believe this is indeed the work of the Phantom, that he moved on to a new location after his attack on the Stark farm. But Lover's Lane murders are hardly unique. You have the Zodiac, you have Son of Sam, you have the Atlanta murders in... 1977, which is the same year as The Son of Sam, but it's a different killer. You have The Monster of Florence. Lover's Lane murders are not that uncommon. Now, it could have been The Phantom, or it could have been a random murder. We will probably never know. Okay, let's hear it. Who do you think committed the Texarkana Moonlight murders? Ghosts? Aliens? I know you think this case has something to do with the occult. Are you sure you want to know? (laughs) I think it's obvious who committed the murders. Oprah. What? And Tom Hanks. No. Along with a satanic cabal of Hollywood elites, <laughs> pedophile elites. They are always pedophiles and liberals. Don't don't take America's dad into this. They have to be liberals, satanic Hollywood liberals. <laughs> The liberal Hollywood pedophile leech, you see, were performing an ancient ritual, some form of blood sacrifice, the most potent offering in black magic. (laughs) 
Oprah and Tom Hanks weren't even born yet when the murders occurred. You don't get it. You don't get it. <laughs> Demonic Democrats are immortal. You got to analyze the symbolism of the woke mind virus. <laughs> Cereal boxes are often a good place to start. Oh my God. <laughs> An ordinary box of Cheerios can be a window into the international demonic syndicate that really rules the world. Everything has meaning, which means nothing does. <laughs> The Texarkana Moonlight Murders were a ritual sacrifice by woke Hollywood elites. Did no. those even exist in the 40s? They have existed throughout centuries. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> have you ever been on Facebook? <laughs> Haven't you seen the evidence? Don't you know the symbolism? No. You gotta decode the cereal boxes, or you don't know what's going on. You're just another bootlicker of the democratic, demonic conspiracy. I- I'm surprised you're not saying that this is deep state, or that this was a false flag operation. Deep state is very 2020. We gotta move past that. Now we just say demonic. <laughs> no, this isn't my theory. This is me making fun of everyone who bought Twitter Blue. I will never stop making fun of you dorks. Especially all the conspiracy theorists who claim to hate the elites, yet dick ride Elon Musk. Yes, they dick ride. They are on the dick riding. <laughs> I mean, why are you giving a billionaire $8 a month? What a bunch of phonies. For a useless blue check that does nothing. What a bunch of phonies and frauds they turned out to be. They were the real NPCs all along. <laughs> So, there are several theories about the Phantom Killer's identity and what became of them, the pronoun them. I grew up hearing a rumor, from my grandmother mostly, (laughs) you know, because she had deep knowledge, (laughs) that the police actually discovered who the killer was. They knew who it was. They cornered him, took him out into the woods, and executed a little vigilante justice, Texas style. I like where this is going. He begged for his life. Like a dog. <laughs> like in Batman Begins, like a dog. <laughs> and the police gunned him down without a second thought. You know, because it's Texas, and that's what they do. Just fucking shoot you. What was left of him was buried in an unmarked grave, buried somewhere deep in the woods. Now, look, it's just a rumor, but this makes more sense if the other rumors about the Phantom Killer being a cop are true. Mm. They were trying to cover their own ass. And look, I have serious doubts the cops actually killed the Phantom. But I would love for the rumors to be true. It's the ending the killer deserved. We all want a happy ending. Yeah, especially if it's by a firing squad. Yeah, I know there's going to be people like, Oh, I love it. You guys are barbaric. No, he's a fucking psychopath. Like, you guys are, fuck this. You guys are Republicans. <laughs> You're barbaric. <laughs> yeah, I want um, psycho murderers to be killed. Yes, yeah, I do. Yeah. And also, they're going to get Max this the, the phantom I'm, I'm saying them they but that's going to come into play later because there's a reason why i'm using them instead of he you'll see there are also other rumors that the phantom was the son of a powerful and respected family and that the police knew the identity of the killer and hid them in a psychiatric facility to evade arrest and prosecution which is also the theory behind the black dahlia killer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it was somebody important and respected well who was who was the g-man who went after him the famous guy elliot ness elliot ness he tracked him down i believe the murders were uh, the murder of the black dahlia was reminiscent of a killings back in ohio and he had linked them together yes yeah another rumor that persists to this day is that the killing stopped because the phantom's own family kept the killer captive after finding out what he had done i kind of like that one too it's weird but that'd like, be really hard to do again there is no proof that any of this is true. It is all lore and urban legends. It's probably bullshit, but we deal with a lot of bullshit on this podcast. <laughs> this is the bullshit podcast. All right, Stephanie, tell us about the actual suspects. There are really two prime suspects in this case, although I would argue that there are actually three. More on that in a bit. A suspect in the Texarkana Moonlight murders was hard to develop because there was very little information for investigators to work off of. There were numerous false confessions investigated by the police. Nine people confessed to being the Phantom, but their statements did not line up with the facts. One of the more comical suspects questioned was an IRS agent accused by a neighbor in Texarkana, clearly a disgruntled taxpayer. Suspect number one, Henry Booker Tennyson. He was an 18-year-old college student at the University of Arkansas. On November 5, 1948, 
two and a half years after the Phantom Killer's last known attack, Tennyson was found dead in his bedroom in Fayetteville, Arkansas. He had committed suicide from ingesting cyanide. Tennyson, it should be noted, had a long history of mental illness. Inside his bedroom was a cryptic note, which contained a riddle for investigators to solve. It pertained to Tennyson's lockbox. Police forced open the lockbox, not wanting to wade through another set of riddles, and discovered a number of handwritten letters, one of which claimed responsibility for the Texarkana Moonlight murders, and that the guilt associated with those murders is what had driven Henry Booker Tennyson to suicide. Tennyson's suicide note reads as follows, quote, Why did I take my own life? Well, when you committed two double murders, you would too. Yes, I did kill Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin in the city park that night, and killed Mr. Starks and tried to get Mrs. Starks. You wouldn't have guessed it. I did it when Mother was either out or asleep, and no one saw me do it. For the guns, I disassembled them and discarded them in different places. End quote. Tennyson did play in a band with one of the victims, Betty Jo Booker, the teenage musical prodigy. So case closed, right? Not so fast. One, Tennyson was known as a pathological liar, probably because he was disturbed and likely suffered from schizophrenia. Two, one of Tennyson's childhood friends said that on the night of Virgil Stark's murder, he had been with Tennyson. They were at home playing a board game, and the friend only remembered because it was that night they found out about the assault, together. Three, Tennyson's fingerprints do not match those found at the crime scenes. Four, he would have been only 15 years old during the time of the attacks, and according to his family, did not have access to the firearms used in the killings. Suspect number two, Yule Lee Swinney. Swinney was a 29-year-old career criminal with a rap sheet a mile long. He was a petty criminal known mostly for auto theft, and police discovered that cars were often stolen on nights when the Phantom Killer struck. Police were able to locate one of the stolen cars and arrested Swinney's wife, 21-year-old Peggy, when she came to retrieve it. Peggy was a pretty young woman with the face of a Disney princess. When she was arrested, Peggy confessed in great detail that Swinney was the phantom killer and had killed 15-year-old Betty Jo Booker and 17-year-old Paul Martin. Her story changed in some details across several interviews, and police believed she was withholding information due to fear of Swinney or of incriminating herself. At first, she claims after a date they parked on the side of the road. Swinney gets outside of the car. He leaves her alone in the car for two hours. She hears two gunshots, and when he returns, he tells Peggy he killed two people, supposedly. Later, she changes her story and says she witnessed firsthand her husband kill Mary Jo Booker and Paul Martin. She could not keep her story straight. Now, there was circumstantial evidence against Swinney. Police did discover that Swinney, at one point, owned a 32 Colt automatic pistol, the same type of weapon used in many of the killings. Additionally, after Swinney went to jail, the killing stopped in Texarkana. Yule Swinney denied any involvement with the killings. Before police could charge him with the murders, Peggy Swinney recanted her confessions, and because she was married to Swinney, she could not be forced to testify against him. Swinney was never charged with murder and was instead tried and imprisoned as a habitual offender for auto theft. Many investigators today believe Yule Swinney who remained in prison for car theft until 1973, was the phantom killer. He died in a nursing home in 1994. No one was ever charged as the phantom killer, although throughout the investigation, almost 400 suspects were arrested. There is no hard evidence that Swinney or Tennyson were the phantom. I don't believe that a psychopath like the Phantom, and I think it's fair to say they were a psychopath, I know it's a hot take, <laughs> would have ever committed suicide out of guilt or remorse. No. And why would the police think this? Oh, yeah, he killed himself because he felt bad. If you're willing to do all the things that this person has done, you're not unaliving yourself because you feel guilty. 
unaliving. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> Tennyson only makes sense as the killer if the attacks or the attack on the Starks was committed by someone other than the Phantom. And there is some confusion about whether Katie Starks saw her attacker or not. In some accounts, she sees them in the mask, and others, she doesn't see them at all. I believe she did see him. Yeah. I'm going to choose that ending. <laughs> it's like R.L. Stein, you know, you pick your, your own adventure book. I think it makes sense. And also, personally, I believe it was the Phantom. I believe she did see him coming through that window. Yeah. The Phantom changed their MO in an act of desperation for fresh victims after the curfew was enforced. You got to remember, people were locked inside. They were locked in their own homes. They were prisoners in their own homes. He's got to find victims somewhere. You also had teenagers dressing up incognito to try to catch this motherfucker. And And this lasted for months. And I got to say, that's pretty fucking badass. They even threatened the cops. They were, <laughs> there, there's a story about this one cop who's like going around at night and he goes up to these teenagers and he's like, you guys better get inside or something. And the girl's like, well, mister, you're lucky we didn't blow your head off because we thought you were the phantom. Yeah. And he didn't do anything to them because they had a point. Right. But how brave were these fucking kids? We're like, yeah, he's, he's coming after us and we're going we're gonna to go after him. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Well, he targeted teenagers. He targeted the vulnerable. Yeah. I have a number of problems with Sweeney being the Phantom. First of all, his fingerprints don't match those found at the crime scenes. And on the night of the Booker Martin murders, he was sleeping in his car under a bridge near San Antonio, Texas. Great town, San Antonio. I've been there. The Texas Rangers and Sheriff Bill Presley were not convinced that Sweeney was the Phantom. Unknown as either a sick prank or a true confession, an anonymous woman contacted family members of the victims, one in 1999 and another in 2000, apologizing for what her father had done. Yule Sweeney was not known to have ever had a daughter. He could have, but I could find no record of that and neither can the police. Yeah, sounds like a crackpot. As for his wife, Peggy, she left Texarkana, and suddenly, the phantom attacks stop. And you suspect? I believe Peggy was the phantom. She knew unreleased details of Paul Martin's murder that ties her to the crime scene, which she could blame on her husband and downplay her own role. Paul Martin was the 17-year-old boy who was murdered along with 15-year-old Betty Jo Booker in the third phantom attack. Yes, and Peggy had more to lose than her husband, because remember, he is already in legal jeopardy from being a car thief. She did not have a criminal record as far as we know. So why incriminate herself? Think I about See, this. I don't think that makes any, any sense. It doesn't make any sense unless she had an ulterior motive. Peggy being the killer would explain why the Phantom wore a mask and why the sexual assaults involved using a gun barrel. I cannot find any evidence of bodily secretions in these sexual assaults. It would also explain why the killer sometimes used a blunt object to stun the victims. Peggy was a woman, and women in general are smaller in stature. And I have seen photos of Peggy, and she's very thin. I don't know quite how tall she is, but she's skinny. She looks diminutive. Yeah. Peggy, being a woman, didn't have the raw physical strength to subdue the victims. And I want to say this, women can be misogynists. They can have internalized misogyny. Women can be predators, which is something that our society frowns upon. Women can't be predators. Yes, they can. You don't know what you're talking about. It seems to be like this worldwide. Whatever culture you go into, it's like, no, 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 women can't be monsters. Well, it's because women are also mothers. Yeah, I think that is And we have to protect the mother. It's that mentality. (laughs) I believe whoever did this hated people, period, because they also humiliated all the men. The psychopath doesn't think in terms of gender norms. They always see themselves as apart from other human beings. They might look like us, but they are not us. Peggy's sanity was called into question by one of the investigators who interviewed her. He found her demeanor and her behavior highly suspicious and troubling. And Peggy was given a polygraph. Now, I know they are considered unreliable and junk science, but her results pointed towards deception. And when you take it as a whole with all the other evidence, 
it is yet another sign she is hiding something. But what is she hiding? Because she's spilling the beans and then she's contradicting herself. I do want to make note, and it's not something we did during the narration of this, Mm -hmm. but uh, Peggy was not married to Yule at the time. Um, They only got married after the arrests occurred. So she could not be forced to testify against him. Exactly. That was the only reason. Um, But they were together. They were together, and I'll bring up other reasons why I don't think it could be her. I just think there's just there's a lot of big holes. I don't understand why she could have just shut the fuck up and not said anything. And like, oh, I don't know anything about stolen cars. I don't know anything about this. I don't know shit. Uh, why even talk about any of this unless she just wants attention? As far as we know, the police never checked Peggy's fingerprints because she was a woman. That is the sticking point. Yeah. It was inconceivable to the police that a woman could be capable of such horrific violence. I mean, this goes back to even the Victorian era when we covered, you know, Nurse Ratchet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Jane Toppin. Yeah, Jane Toppin. (laughs) I believe that Peggy's so-called confessions were an attempt to gaslight and confuse the investigators. She was manipulating them from day one, and I believe it worked. The killer was hidden in plain sight all along. Now, look, I could be wrong, and it's entirely possible the Phantom was actually two killers working in tandem, Peggy and her husband. So when he's in San Antonio sleeping under a bridge, she goes and commits that murder, and they they swap back and forth. It's kind of why I think some of the killings, the MO is slightly different, and Mm. there's variables. I mean, it's possible she'd know how to. And it also makes them harder to catch when there's two. Yeah. I mean, she would know how to steal cars as well. Yeah. Probably. (laughs) Serial killers working in tandem is very rare. It is rare, but it does happen. At best, she is her husband's accomplice. There are stories of couples who serial rape women and kidnap them. Yeah. So there are stories of of those types of things happening or. or, keeping them captive for years, stuff like that, or even murdering them. So I don't think that's so far out of left well, field. Well, and, and I guess if you want to say if it is her and she's saying all this stuff to the cops, is that her way of maybe bragging without admitting, admitting it? without admitting. Right. Because we do know this about serial killers, most of them. They love to brag. They, it's like they want people to know of their evil genius. They don't really want to go to jail, but they just want people to know that they were responsible. Well, there's some that do want to go to jail. They just want you to know that they've done the work. And then they're fine writing in prison as long as they get to be a celebrity serial killer. Which is crazy. There's a case from Canada, or (laughs) Canada, uh, what is known as the Ken and Barbie killers, who went around, uh, they were both blonde, uh, Mm -hmm. hence Ken and Barbie, and they went around, they were lovers, uh, raping and murdering people. They were kind of a Bonnie and Clyde, but it really, but they were like kind of preppy at the same. It was really yeah. weird, very Canadian. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's my tenfold hat theory. Honestly, nothing about this case makes any sense. Hence, why we covered it. None of the theories make any sense. I think that's why this has become legendary in the annals of true crime. Now, there is another theory that the Phantom Killer was actually the Zodiac Killer perfecting his technique that he later used in California. But that's 20 years later. Y- yes, but it's only two decades apart. And if this was a very young killer, he could be in his 40s doing it, you know, like if he's in his 20s and he's in his 40s. But if it's Peggy, she later goes on to get married again. If it's the Zodiac, it isn't Peggy. That's my point. This okay. is another theory. <laughs> It all lines up. I know, but you like that Peggy is the killer. (laughs) No, I don't like it. I just believe it. I mean, I think it's your favorite theory as far as all the theories Uh, come together. Maybe, but there's another theory we're going to get to. But the Zodiac theory lines up really well. You have the hood, the flashlight, targeting couples on Lover's Lane. Although, as we have mentioned before, there are plenty of killers who operate on Lover's Lane. Lover's Lane is a great place to find victims. Yeah, it's anonymous. It's not necessarily full of people. But people will show up there. So you could just hang out there and find a victim. And the Zodiac did call themselves the Red Phantom. I'm not saying they're the same killer, but it does make you wonder. Hmm. It's entirely possible the Zodiac killer was simply inspired by the Phantom. 
The case was very popular in true crime magazines at the time the Zodiac killings were taking ah, place. I see. Two psychos with a taste for the theatrical. But it's interesting to think about. Okay. So do you think the Phantom was somebody never on anybody's radar at all? You thought this had something to do with the war? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play devil's advocate on, on Peggy. It is possible that Peggy and her boyfriend were going to Lover's Lane themselves to make out, or fuck, whatever, and they saw the bodies, and they didn't report the crime because they were busy stealing cars. So maybe it's that, and maybe this woman is nutty and wants her time in the sun, and they had nothing to do with it. That's possible, right? Um, so she's not the killer, but she wants some kind of notoriety. Mm-hmm. So my theory, because this does feel male, and yeah, I'm going to gender it on this. I do, I do because, because of the humiliation of the men, it feels like a guy. This just feels like a guy. And I'm not saying that women can be monsters. We've talked about this over and over again on our pod. And I'm not saying, look, most serial killers are men. Yeah. Okay. But... Um, if it is a man, I had theorized because of the shooting of the Starks and that it was a rifle. And I don't, was that at some kind of range? It was through the window. Not really. But that did make me think, what if this is someone who had been in World War II? It had just ended. Um, a lot of couples did not stay together post-war. Uh, sometimes just because of the anxiety of, of someone going off to war, or maybe they jumped into a relationship really fast because it was romantic. Um, or when veterans would come back, they were often violent from what they had experienced from PTSD. And what if this is somebody who had come back and not only had he found a taste for blood, he found that he was good at it. And maybe his wife had left him. Maybe there's some kind of unresolved relationship thing there. And he's fucking angry. And he wants to take it out on these young people because he maybe he would have been that age going off to war. Well, I right? want to say that we're not saying that veterans are psychos. No, not at all. But I'm, I'm saying if this particular psycho, I think it, it could line up with this person being a veteran of of a recent war. It's literally a year after the war ended. This is a, you know, yeah. It's so very close. I would think that this is a veteran of a recent conflict who was already a psycho and come back and it, he came back worse. That's well, what I mean. one of the victims was a veteran, a Navy man. That's the second murder, yeah. you know, in a car. And he's angry. My question is this, though, because this is something somebody sent an email about, and we kind of alluded to this, because I do think there's something to this. Do you think that there's something about this town that's cursed. I think any town that first, this isn't something that we mentioned in the beginning, but when they settled this area, they perpetrated a genocide on the indigenous people that lived there. Oh, now you're all woke. I don't give a fuck. I'm making a joke. No, I agree with you. <laughs> um, and I don't even know if these were like people that they shoved down there and then like assassinated or if it was just people who already lived there. But basically, they killed everyone in the region so the white man could take over and make that their town. And I think that sets the tone for blood and disorder and mayhem. Well, there's also somebody was saying that this town is buried on an Indian burial ground. But I'm confused because I've also heard that there's no such thing as an Indian burial ground. It depends on the tribe and how yeah. they, uh, what their death rates are. But killing... <laughs> hundreds of people or maybe thousands i don't know i don't know how big the community was but they did perpetuate a genocide later they did a lot of um racial lynchings things of that sort that were very common in the south and i do think the land remembers and i think it harbors a kind of dark energy if you will that could i don't know draw a killer in well there seems it seems to be a moral reckoning happening here because people start to take notice this is a town that has this like they want to present themselves as this idyllic post-war suburb right but there's been all this violence happening underneath mm -hmm. and the killer seems to embody that violence finally getting out into the open right where it's actually covered and and what if you know places that have had uh, wars take place in an area right or where they have done mass genocides because this has happened all over in the united states and I do believe that the land holds, you know, imprints and memories and and 
when man does evil, it creates an energy that can linger, right? This is also one of the theories behind ghosts. Ghost stories. Is it, <laughs> it, it, you know, like houses that are haunted, it oh. leaves an energy that... Well, that's if you think it's an actual person or not. But like I a just, murder committed. But I just mean like the, the land remembers, and unless you try to heal the land of what you've done to it, what you've perpetuated in that region... It's gonna, I think it could almost be like a nexus where it draws in other dark energy, other dark entities, if you will. People who are prone to evil. Well, we also talked about in part one, the the saloon that caught fire and that horrible tragedy right. that happened, the Paragon horror. And people killed themselves because they were trapped under rubble and no one would come to help them. They couldn't get to them. Yeah. And it just seems like there was calamity after calamity. There's also, this place had some of the most horrific racial violence. That's what I mean. Of any. Yeah. And you know, there's the other thing. This is something I haven't seen anyone discuss. The Phantom's costume looks like he's KKK. I, that was the first thing I thought when you started telling me about this case. But I'm no like, one ever mentions that it's or analyzes a white pillow that. pillowcase. Was he a member of the clan? If it's a man, you know, yeah. that's a weird thing. But he's not killing, as far as we know, people of color. He's going after teenagers. And I think that's what throws people for a loop. Mm -hmm. But maybe that was what he wore to a clan rally. Because I think there was clan in this area. Yeah, and they pretty much would use a fucking pillowcase. Yeah. So the survivors of the first attack, Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean Larry, lived in fear that the Phantom would come for them. The assault ended their romance and seems to have cut their lives short. Mary passed away from cancer at only 38 years old, and Jimmy died in his sleep at 54. They survived the attack, but they never really escaped. The trauma of that night haunted them for the rest of their lives, and I find that really sad and very tragic. Mm -hmm. And uh, although apparently Jimmy went to work for NASA, which is pretty impressive... What I will always remember about this case isn't the killer, it's the victims. And I've talked before how I think the victims are very tough. Yeah. For me, this is more their story. And I don't mean that in a feel-good, hallmark sort of way. I mean that's what most interests me about this case. Katie Starks. I don't need to say anything else. Katie Starks, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> the will to live is a powerful thing. Yeah. Now, do you think it's possible that the Phantom, having failed to kill Katie Starks, might have taken his own life? Maybe. I, I, maybe. Yeah, I always get the sense the Phantom was humiliated by her escape, and I don't know why, because it's like, I have no idea. I didn't. Because he didn't, get, he didn't get them both. Because the killing is always about two people, a couple. Um, and, and there is that murder of the homeless man on the tracks. And I do think that's related. I really, really do. Yeah. I think <laughs> the Phantom having missed his chance with Katie and she miraculously gets away by the skin of her teeth. You know, she, is that the phrase? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. She gets away and that would infuriate someone who is used to getting their way over other people's lives, whether they lived or not. So... Yeah, I think he definitely killed the person who was, like, found at the train tracks. Um, I don't know. I don't know, because it's like he got, he gets his rage out on the on the homeless person. If that is him. If that's him. And she, I think it is. She was the one that got away, and her face was blown off, and yet she manages to make it out alive. That's got to be humiliating. The Phantom was so relentless in their pursuit of their victims, and yet here they failed and almost got caught. Mm-hmm. That had to have been a devastating setback for someone who clearly thinks of themselves as an apex predator. They never said that, but I, I get the oh, sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they think they're hot shit of doing course, what they did. In reality, they're just an apex loser. <laughs> well, one thing that did happen, though, what I could gather from research, is that Katie's next-door neighbor was poisoned. And I thought that was really odd, that she died of poisoning, like, not long after this. A couple years later. Like 1948, I believe. Yeah. And they didn't under, they didn't, they never found who did it. They never, it's unexplained. Shit, it could have been another church lady. Yeah. Got pissed at her and poisoned a pie. poisoning is not the Phantom's MO, but poisoning is something women are known to do, so. Yeah, but I don't think Peggy stayed, not, yeah, Peggy? Yeah. I don't think Peggy stayed in the area, right? 
when she yeah, remarries. Yeah, I believe she moves to Dallas. Yeah, I don't. I just don't think it's her. I think she wanted her time in the sun and for some fucking reason thought it would be fun to uh, frame her boyfriend. Well, what she did do is she wrote to her parents when she was in jail and she basically told them, yeah, I lied to the police about everything. She bragged about it. And they're suckers, whatever. And then the police intercepted the letter. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, even though she lied to the police, which is perjury, yeah. she did all kind of perjury. They let her go, which is odd. But I guess, you know, you don't want girls in jail. So I don't know. That Again, this is an example of women getting preferential treatment. Right. And I'm not, look, our society is shitty to women, okay? But this is this weird inverted misogyny where we'll let women who do bad things off the hook. We'll let uh, child abuser women yeah. keep their kids. And that happens all the time in family court. So, and I'm not saying she should go to prison forever for perjuring yourself, but it, it's still a crime. Well, I think she's probably a sociopath. I'll give you that. I think she's fucking, you know, there's something not right about her. She knew more. Oh, Any yeah. Any way you look at it, she knew more than what she was saying. She yeah. was hiding something. Right. Even though at one point she says, yeah, I was there when uh, he was. Uh, How do we know she wasn't like fucking some other guy? Yeah. Well, she we gets, don't know she that. She gets married right after this guy goes to jail. Yeah, she annuls that marriage, her, you know, sham marriage, and then goes and marries some other guy. So I, I don't know. I think I think there's something weird about her, but I don't think that the, she's that she's the killer. I think she just wanted the attention. I think she wanted to be famous. I think she was playing a fucking game. And oh, I, that's what I believe. Yeah. And one of the detectives did say she had a mind that was like a bag of cats. It's the same one who found her troubling and right. manipulative. Right. And I do think she's she's trying to play games. And this is back when... Because there's no reason for her to admit any of this stuff. This is back when the sexism was so strong that men think, women could never play games. They're just <laughs> mothers. Yeah, even though they were taking care of all kinds of shit as they were off to My war. My point I'm trying to make, and this is the final thing I'm going to say about her, is that she did not think of herself as a woman first. Uh-huh. If she is the killer, she thinks of herself as a predator and laughs at the gender norms because psychopaths, like I said, always see themselves as apart from other people. They have a deep sense of grievance uh-huh. and rage, but they also see themselves as victims. Wow, it's like you're talking exactly about my sister-in-law, X one <laughs> Who was the phantom killer? Did the phantom's killing spree really stop in 1946? Or did they simply move to a new location? to cause havoc elsewhere. The urban legend of the sex-crazed killer in a mask will endure as a campfire horror story for decades to come. And since the crimes happened so long ago, and evidence no longer remains, the true identity of the phantom killer will likely remain a mystery. The strange case of the phantom killer and the murders committed by a dark and malevolent force are unsolved and unexplained. Okay, so this concludes season three. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to apologize for the recent delays. I cannot begin to tell you all the difficulties we faced making this season. It's been quite a bumpy ride all season long. The pod will be taking a break until July 9th, and the reason for this is because I want the podcast to get back on a regular schedule. Think of it as a soft reboot. This gives me time to research and have outlines done. I have been writing and rewriting nonstop since Christmas, and I need a two-week break, a mental health break, um, before I get back to writing and researching. Because I'm two weeks, and then I'm back to writing and researching again all year. I want to have a few episodes in the can when we come back, and I will be putting up our old episodes on YouTube. And I will be taking over editing duties for season four, which is going to be our most bonkers season yet. All of my interests and obsessions will be on full display. Now, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, (laughs) I will leave up to the listeners. 
I think season four is going to be the best yet. It has everything. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. There will be an episode about ninjas. <laughs> we will be having an episode about a bat monster. Uh, but I'm taking some really big swings here, all right? You always take big swings. We're taking bigger swings. <laughs> okay. There will still be plenty of murder mysteries. Literally, the first episode is about a horrible murder. It's really... It's got, it's got a kind of a twist to it, though. And there will be cryptids, there will be serial killers, there will be dark history, there will be unexplained deaths, which is my favorite thing to talk about. So next week, we'll be doing a special Q&A episode reflecting on this season, and we've got some great questions from you guys. I'm excited to dive into this. We might talk more about Mike Vanderbilt, because we got questions about him. Mm-hmm. And that will be dropping very soon. And film critic Darren Mooney and I have something planned to drop but sometime between now and July. I think it all depends on when Darren is done rewatching uh, the fourth season of The X-Files, which is one of my favorite shows. We're going to go episode by episode through season four, and it's going to be a great deal of fun. I'm really excited. And it's sort of a farewell to me talking about that show on this podcast. My final word on that series and its legacy, which is... Very complicated, to say the least. All right, Stephanie, where can I find us? You can find us at the Spookies Podcast at gmail.com, where you can write us some questions, leave us some comments. We may or may not answer them. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find me at Steffi Hellyow on Twitter and Stephanie Hellyow on Instagram. You can find me at Agent Bigfoot on Twitter and Spooky Michael on Instagram, which I'm shocked that was not taken. That seems like such a generic. I know, and I, it's a, it's really cute. It's too. mine now. <laughs> All right, we will see you next week. Bye bye. Bye bye.